I'm going to give you three reasons fear may be holding you back. Now, I know things are a little uncertain right now, but check this out. I mean, we've been in this crazy pandemic for two years. If you're waiting for things to get better, if you're waiting for things to get back to normal, how long are you going to wait? When do we know that things are going to change dramatically? Things have changed. They're never going to go back to normal. Let's move forward. I'm going to tell you how you can do that. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. All right. Hey, here we go. You know, thanks for being a listener to this podcast. I mean, I love hearing from you and being allowed to think through the questions we all have about this thing that we call finding or creating work that matters for people who care. I mean, that's what we're doing. And a whole lot of you are taking a fresh look at that right now. Maybe you're part of the great resignation that took place, this reshuffling we're seeing, this realignment where you're saying, I don't want to do that anymore, but maybe I'll try this. Hey, that's a great place to be. Well, we got great questions today, as usual. Going to be moving through some like this. Well, I'm going to talk about, are you a candidate to be a new-collar worker? That's a term, a new-collar worker. Somebody says, Dan, I just went through a painful divorce. Is this a good time to start my own business? Another listener asked, the last couple of months, I've been surprised at how many people have expressed what seemed to be paralyzing fear at pursuing their dreams. Why do you think that is? Somebody asked, what are some podcasts that you enjoy listening to? I'm going to give you a list of some of the ones that I enjoy most. And then we got our quotation for the day that comes from Lloyd C. Douglas, who says, if a man harbors any sort of fear, it percolates through all his thinking damages his personality, makes him a landlord to a ghost. All right. Now, this new-collar worker, I want to just give you some tips about what's happening in the workplace right now. This is a pretty interesting concept. We've talked for years about the workforce being divided by the color of collars. I mean, you hear white-collar work and then blue-collar work. So people who are in, you know, kind of entry-level lower paying jobs and blue collar work. And then those people who are in banks or in medical offices, you know, they're white collar. Well, we're seeing kind of a blending of those because there's a whole lot of new jobs, especially in technology. Do you have to wear a white collar? You know, there are people making $200,000 a year that are wearing t-shirts. I mean, we've kind of done away with that idea of the, either being white collar or blue collar. And that's a cool thing. I mean, what, what does this mean? Well, one of the things that it also means is a lot of these new collar workers are not college graduates. Instead, they're using other ways to become candidates for those positions. But when you think about how quickly technology is changing and you're using a new software program, that software program may not have been around two years ago or a year ago. So people are jumping on skill platforms that I talk about a lot here, places like Udemy or LinkedIn Learning. They have lots of courses that you can take that may 
take you three weeks to go through or one week to go through and position you to have the skills that are required for a really great position in a company that historically would have required a college degree. There's a lot of coding boot camps out there. There's, I hear about people who just watched YouTube tutorials and got prepared for work. I mean, we had a listener um, some time ago who just watched YouTube tutorials over a seven-month period and went from being a blacksmith to a job at IBM with a six-figure income. And never and didn't have a, a traditional high school degree. He was homeschooled and never really had even a traditional high school degree, let alone a college degree. And that job stated that it required a college degree. And yet they gave him the opportunity because they were impressed with what he knew. Now, there's a whole lot of companies that are saying that they are not as concerned with college degrees as they used to be. I mean, Elon Musk says you don't need a college degree to apply for a job at Tesla, Apple, Google, Netflix. Those are all places that have followed suit on that. They say, nah, it really doesn't matter as much anymore. Now, this is not to negate the value of a college degree, but you have to realize that a college degree gives you a lot of experiences in things that may not relate directly to what you're going to do in terms of your work as well anyway. So just keep in mind, these are changes. These are changes. We're never going to go back to the way things were. You may think that some are good, some are bad, but they're just changes. We just have to accept the fact that there are changes out there. And this idea of having to have a college degree has pretty much gone out the window. Just not going to be, you know, Elon Musk said at a recent conference, he said, I don't consider going to college evidence of exceptional ability. Then he says, did Shakespeare go to college? Probably not. We can look back in history and see a whole lot of people who did not go to history and a lot of current people who somehow dropped out of college along the way somewhere and they're doing pretty well anyway. Well, here's here's another note, just a uh, kind of a tip. It's kind of a it may be kind of discouraging, but it's it's just something that I notice. If you really want to make money in connected with education, stay away from students. Now, this is here's kind of the track. The further one moves from actual contact with students, the higher the salary is likely to be. I mean, just look at what's going on. Classroom teachers having the ability to see, touch, encourage, interact with students personally make the lowest salaries. Principals, well, they move away from actual contact and spend more time shuffling papers, but they make substantially more. Superintendents who may see a real student once or twice a month make even more. Directors of schools make more. In 2021, Four university presidents earned more than $3.5 million in salary and benefits. More than 3.5 university presidents. Now, that's according to recent edition of the Chronicle of Higher Education. You can check it out. Even more so, look at what college coaches make. Now, yeah, they have contact with students, but it's not in terms of educating them. It's in terms of getting their bodies to perform so it brings in spectators and donations for the universities. Again, I don't have easy answers to this, but it's pretty easy to observe. I mean, there's a lot of good teachers, 
you know, out there, I granted there are, but the message seems to be clear. If you want to make a decent living in education, get as far away from students as possible. Well, last week I talked about positive attitude. We've kind of been um, spending a lot of time on that recently. We studied the book, The Magic of Thinking Big, recently in our Eagles community, and a lot of interaction around that. And then, as I shared last week, we had a gentleman who left the Eagles community because um, of because of our study of The Magic of Thinking Big and how he thought that positive thinking set him up for almost being taken advantage of by an online job scam. You remember that? So we had a whole lot of response to that. A whole lot of you have written in. Thank you for your comments about that. But I heard from that gentleman, which I'm really thrilled about. The gentleman who said, you know, boom, he didn't want any part of that positive thinking. He was going to go back to the way he was. And my concern was that you paint yourself into a corner. You keep backing away from things because you're, you have the fear of the risk and that pushes you back into a corner and low opportunities. Well, I got a note from the gentleman who actually listened to the podcast. I was thrilled that he did. He said, I heard your podcast last week, touched by your concern for me. You had no need to worry, though. I had three job interviews last week with three job offers, and I started working on my new job this week. I mean, that's an awesome update. So he did not just back down and just say no to anything that might be a risk. He got right back out there, had three interviews. That's exactly what I had recommended in my podcast without knowing that he would be listening to it. But he went out there, got another job. So congratulations to him. I'm thrilled that he took that answer or took the the information and did not just bag himself into a corner, but got back in the game. I wrote him a note. I said, I'm thrilled to hear your successful follow-up, and I'm delighted to hear that your unfortunate experience with the online job scan did not stop you from pursuing the next interviews to get the right opportunity. Your note to us really did prompt a lot of great discussion as we all continue to discern that healthy balance that will keep us stretching and growing, but not deceiving ourselves. All right, so here's here's a note from Bob, who says, Dan, thanks so much for your encouragement each week. I've recently gone through a divorce that I neither wanted nor expected. While I'm picking up the pieces and moving forward through this unexpected change, I've been wanting to change my job situation for years, and this might be the catalyst to finally make it happen. I'm a public school music teacher. While this job does not suit my personality, tendencies, or values, dreams, and passions, it has provided a stable income. However, making ends meet, moving from a two-income household to one, meaning from $95,000 down to $57,000, is a challenge. I could maybe move into a smaller, older place, but that feels like thinking small. So I'd love to think bigger and get a new job that provides at least as much as our two incomes together did. This would allow me to keep the house, which I love, and not financially struggle so much with providing for the kids. I love your entrepreneurial ideas, but I feel like moving from this job to another job that suits my personality, tendencies, values, dreams, and passions, and knowledge, skills, and abilities would be a better fit for my SC personality type and provide more stability as I come out of this season of instability in my life. Any suggestions are welcome. Thanks, Dan, for what you do. All right. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate your note, your openness about what you're going through. I grieve for you that you're going through an unexpected, unwanted uh, divorce. 
So is this a good time to create a new start? Yes. In a lot of ways it, it is, you know, you've had this forced new start in some ways, obviously it's a good time to kind of reassess who you are, what you're all about, where you're going, what you're going to do and all that. But starting your own business does require a lot of self-confidence and support from those around you. This may not be a great time to move into something that's kind of so unstructured and unpredictable as that. It may be a time, as you described, being a high SC, it may be better fit to get a traditional job, at least as a core career. And I, I, I commend you on that. I think that's probably a good idea. But that doesn't mean that's all you need to do. I want you to think creatively here. The fact that you even considered starting your own business lets me know that you're thinking outside the edges a little bit. And so you can do both. You can get a traditional job. So you have that core career and probably a good idea. But then look at the things that are right under your nose that you could maybe do. So now you're living in a big house that you say you really like. Maybe you don't need all that space. I want you to Google, Google the term house hacking. It's a fairly new term, but you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Because what that involves, it's just a strategy that involves renting out parts of your primary resident residence to generate income that's used to offset then the cost of your mortgage, other expenses. So you may be able to make more from renting out part of your house than you could from having another job or having to change jobs to get a higher salary. I mean, I heard about a kid just recently, and there's a lot of a chat out there right now about this house hacking. Some people really are, are really upset about the idea for some reason. I'm not quite sure why, but you know, it talked about some kid who had a $2,700 mortgage mortgage, and then he was renting out the upstairs of his house for $2,600 a month. So he was living there for a hundred dollars plus the additional expenses that a house requires, but a hundred bucks. I mean, I think that's brilliant to do that. There are a lot of people who prefer to rent, who don't want the responsibility of having a house. So you may have something like that right there, or go back through our information about 15 hours a week, what you could do with that to start something. It may be uh, connected to your school teaching. You could put together a course where you have some expertise and put that out there. You may do tutoring, a lot of things you could do that may be in addition to, so you're looking for and solutions rather than either or. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here, we're Taking real life questions here. A reminder that if I use your question, I'll send you a new autographed copy of 48 Days to the Working Love. I'd love to send those out with a note to everybody whose question I answer here. So you can shoot those questions in too. It will just go to 48days.com slash ask Dan. That takes you to the place where you can leave an audio question, hit the little microphone, or just Shoot a note in to me, as most of you do, but 48days.com slash askdan. Now, this comes from Nathan. He's the one who asked. He says, Dan, I've been a listener for many years now. The last couple of months, I've been surprised at how many people have expressed what seems to be a paralyzing fear at pursuing their dreams. Why do you think that is? It seems to me that most people mostly fear failure, the unknown, or disappointing others. But we know that even the safe, quote, options, such as getting a stable job and invest your money in the stock market, can be risky. People get laid off all the time. No one can know for sure whether the stock market will rise or fall. 
Even Jim Carrey once reflected on his father's career distress that you can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance at doing what you love. Nathan says, I also do not understand the lack of curiosity many people have. For instance, if other people can work in a certain career field, why not me? Everyone had to begin somewhere, so why not start where they are now? In science, you're supposed to test a hypothesis to see if it's true instead of just accepting it. Why don't more people at least take the very first step and just see what happens, even as an experiment? Aren't our own lives the ultimate experiment that there is? But the part I really don't understand is the paralysis, the lack of desire to take any action. Are people so sure of failure that they would rather not try at all? Or are people actually afraid of success? Do they feel if they were to succeed in a small way, they would become responsible for their success and continued growth, and that responsibility would be too much to handle? I'm not sure if there's an easy answer for all of this, but I did want to ask your input on why you think so many people fear to be afraid to take action. Nathan, thanks for your note. I mean, clearly, I I know some of the things that you've done. You've been very active in our Eagles community. You recently wrote a book, and then you stepped away from a very good job into doing your own thing totally and are crushing it in what you're doing. So you, you speak from experience and from the side of success in taking that risk, taking those steps, taking massive action to change the status quo and move out there. And you're questioning, why wouldn't anybody do that? Well, that's a great question. But obviously, you and I are tainted in our perspective because we've tasted what it's like to step out and do our own thing and be in the be driving our own ship, so to speak, and reaping the rewards of doing that. But as I've worked with people over the years, there's typically three reasons people never act in their dreams. You know, a lot of people talk about the financial independence they'd like to have. The time freedom they'd like to have is a big, big deal. But again, there's usually three kind of primary reasons. And those are, the first one is a fear of failure. Now, there's nothing more crippling than the fear of failure. I mean, I see what, what appear to be otherwise intelligent people who are so afraid of failure that they let idea after idea pass them by, only to then regret their inaction. Brian Tracy says that most of us have three or four ideas a year that would make us millionaires if we acted on them. But it's so easy to say, well, you know, nobody's ever done that, or gee, that's probably already been done, or I could never do that. Yeah, I don't have the money to do that, the background one. No, the fear of failure. Well, the second reason is a lack of knowledge. Now, creative, non-traditional, innovative skills, I mean, those are not just things you stumble onto. We've already talked about, it may not be in a college classroom that you learn what you need to know in order to have a great opportunity. You can learn how to invest. You can learn how to deal in real estate. Talked to somebody this morning who's doing some astounding things in real estate. I love the opportunities he's seeing there that he's creating. Uh, you can learn how to evaluate business opportunities, how to manage employees, I mean, all those things. But these are all things that can be learned and should never prevent you from exploring new options for a better life. So there's really not many legitimate cases where lack of knowledge would be a legitimate reason holding you back from moving forward. And then the third thing, third reason people don't act in their dreams is a perceived lack of money. Now I stress perceived because money is never really what's holding them back. 
people think they don't have enough money to take the first step toward the thing they want to do, their revolutionary work or the new idea they want to pursue. But the problem usually comes back to that fear of failure or lack of knowledge. I mean, I get, you know, eight to 10 inquiries a week from people wanting to know where to find startup money for new ventures. And yes, money is extremely available right now. I mean, we have a company, Eagles Innovation Group, where we are looking to invest in companies. So if there's money available out there, there, there's not a lack of money, but that's often given as an excuse for somebody not moving forward. Good ideas will attract money like moths to a light. Trust me, you have a good idea. I mean, I think about Peter Diamandis, who started the X Prize a few years ago, and he said there was going to be a $10 million reward for the first person who put a space shuttle you know, up into space, brought it back down, and put it up again within like a two-week period. Well, it had never been done before. He put out a $10 million reward. Well, the cool thing is, he didn't have the $10 million. He just was confident that having a big idea like that would attract somebody who would want to sponsor that. And that's exactly what happened. I won't go into the details there, but that's exactly what happened. He offered a $10 million prize, didn't have it. And then they had multiple people that said, hey, I want to have my name connected to that. People are attracted to those big ideas. Now, one of the things that I had shared from a couple of years ago, it reminded me, Nathan, your question here. It was how to stop wanting what I want. And the question was that I got from a podcast listener like this, this has been a couple of years ago, says, I'm writing you because I have a question that I haven't been able to find an answer for. I've looked through the bookstore for something on the subject, but to no avail. You are very good at helping people figure out how to achieve what they want, not only in careers, but more importantly in life. What I need to know is how to stop wanting those things that I want for my life. No one else seems to be able to help me. Can you? Wow. How to stop wanting those things that I want for my life. Now, I sent that person a very personal answer, but uh, trust me, this is either a very painful or a very misguided question. Now, what do you think? You know, how do you stop wanting those things that you want? How do you become numb to the desires of your heart? Is that a reasonable goal? Should you just find a job that pays the bills? Try to forget doing something that you really enjoy. Well, I don't think so. My response is to clarify what you want, create a plan of action, begin to walk toward the goal you want, need a plan to start getting what you want. Well, you know, when I was just a kid, the Corvette Stingray came out, the split window Corvette Stingray came out and Oh my goodness. You talk about wanting something. I mean, that was my ultimate dream to be able to have a Corvette like that. Now, did it happen right away? No, it did not. I mean, I didn't even have a driver's license at that point, but did it happen over time? Well, sure it did. I mean, that was just a a real clear goal that I had out there. Well, sure that I was able to do that. I've had multiple Corvettes along the way, currently driving one right now. It wasn't an unreasonable goal. It seemed to be totally out of reach, but I did not try to talk myself into not wanting that. I just can't get my head around that. 
Now I got I got a response back from the the listener. He says, you said it is either a painful or very misguided question. I can assure you it's a very painful question, but there's only so much failure a person can handle before he simply can no longer seek making one's dreams a reality. Persistent failure will bring the very deepest depression. Dreams must either become a reality or you must give them up. Personally, I've reached a point of giving up and it's painful, but eventually you must accept that losers are a fact of life. Wow. That is a painful response. You've got to just accept the fact that you need to just give up. Again, we've talked a lot about having things that are realistic goals. I mean, if I have a desire to play in the NBA or in the, in the NFL, I mean, that that's not going to happen. I'm not, I'm, I'm too old and I'm not big enough to do either of those. Not tall enough or stocky enough. Well, I mean, those are things that I'm not going to have as dreams where I pine away and I'm disappointed because I can't reach those. So there's got to be some sense of reality in what you see as things that you want to move forward. But once you clarify that, then it's probably just a matter of mapping out what are those steps that I need to take to move toward that. You know, a few years ago, we had one of our Coaching with Excellence conference up in Franklin, Tennessee. You know, where we meet in the sanctuary, that barn that we call the sanctuary, and had people crammed in there. We had great times, those two-day events. Well, on the closing night, where we expected people to, to go home, no one wanted to leave. So ultimately, we just ordered pizza for everybody to have it be delivered. When the order arrived, the guy came in through the kitchen door, and I wanted to go, just go out and thank him, as I always do with service people. I want to thank them for their service and reward them for that. And then he tentatively asked me, he says, isn't this a sanctuary? Well, he proceeded to tell me that he's been a reader of 48 Days material. He listens to my podcast. He knows all about the sanctuary. And then he added, fear controls my life. Now, sometimes it appears that fear of success is stronger than fear of failure. Nathan, you, you kind of alluded to that. Maybe the responsibility of success is too much. I mean, it does require responsibility when you are successful. You don't just sit back. There are things that come with that, the responsibility of being then the steward over more. But the unknown is a scary place. And I know that. Staying with a familiar mediocrity may be less intimidating than trying something new. So with no clear goals, no one cheering you around uh, around you, you know, you can kind of get trapped in that boring but predictable career to just maintain it. Now, I want to add, delivering pizzas is a worthy occupation, but I really expect that most 46-year-old men see it as a stepping stone to something else. I mean, don't let fear trap you in a red shirt. There's a movie that was been around for many years. It's titled Lions for Lambs, starred Robert Redford, who was a I think he was a professor in that. And he had a student who asked, is there any difference in trying but failing and simply failing to try if you end up in the same place anyway? And I'll think through that a little bit. That's kind of a, a complex sentence, but it's very, very simple. Are you better off trying and then failing or just never trying if you end up in the same place? 
You know, what, what about you? Do you cringe at trying something big because of the possibility of failure? What if you try for a promotion but fail to get it? What if you started a business but then lost your investment? Or you got involved in a direct sales company but then got nothing other than a garage full of vitamins or shampoos or uh, essential oils? You know, are you better off or would your life have been better if you had avoided the hassle and the disappointment altogether? Now, I hear from people every day who have tried and failed. I mean, the gentleman who lost $11 million of his family money in a gas and oil business, another young guy lost $3.2 million that he had inherited from his grandmother in a failed clothing business that he got into. I have a really close friend who lost $24 million in a failed real estate development. I mean, research shows that if you're under 30 years old, there's a 90% chance you're going to be fired sometime in the next 20 years. Bernie Marcus was fired from his job at the Handy Dan Improvement Center. And so he then went on to start Home Depot based on all he had learned at that company where he got fired. I, back a few years ago, you know, experienced a horrible failure in business, having to borrow a car just to drive, to start generating income again. Should I have avoided the pain and anguish by taking a safer route? Or was that experience the necessary catalyst for learning the principles that launch the success I enjoy today. Well, my theory is that you'll be a brighter, better person for trying something big, even if you fail. That's part of moving you along in that path. Well, hey, just a couple others here, and we'll wrap up for today. Got a question from Jared here who says, what are some podcasts that you enjoy listening to? Now, this happens to be Jared Easley, who's the the founder of the podcast movement I mean, the largest podcast conference out there anywhere. And then it's like, I'll be going there. I hope to see a lot of you there as well. I'll be going there. It's going to be in Dallas, August 23rd to the 26th. So if you have any interest in podcasting, or if you just want to connect with a whole lot of really cool people who are taking action and moving toward their dreams I mean, check out podcast movement. That's one of the locations where I'm doing my food for thought with Dan put out a couple weeks ago that I'd be doing over the next five months lunch where I pick up the tab. We just get together, identify 12 people and we just get together and have lunch. Now the one in Dallas filled up immediately. There are a lot of people going to be there and we have tons of responses. I have to weed through those and unfortunately uh, select 12 people out of there. But if you're there and not able to have lunch with me at that, you I you let me know anyway, you know, we'll connect and say, Hey, during the course of the conference. But anyway, Jared's a great guy, great friend, started this wonderful, wonderful conference uh, several years ago and has had amazing success in growing it now into the largest podcast conference in the world. So he says, what are some podcasts that you enjoy listening to? Well, it's easy for me to identify a whole bunch. I'm going to give you here in no particular order, uh, 25 that I really do listen to pretty regularly. I mean, I have them on my podcast feed. So when I jump out the door in the morning to go for my walk and then my bike ride, my exercise routine, and all, then I select what am I going to listen to? And I usually listen either at one and a half speed or two times speed, uh, just so I get through a whole lot more content. So I listen to a lot of podcasts, but these are 25 that I have in my feed and that I listen to pretty regularly. It's a Good Life with Brian Buffini. Community creators, Shanna Bresnahan, that's a pretty new one, but she 
um, talks to people who have online communities as we do, like the 48 Days Eagles. The Game, Alex Hermosi. The Business of Living, Michael McGreevy. Entree Pastors, John Sanders, Les Hughes. Crazy Money with Paul Ollinger. The Jordan Harbinger Show, of course, with Jordan Harbinger. The Shane Sams Show, Shane Sams, listen to that one this morning. A bit of Optimism, Simon Sinek. Podcast Talent Coach, Eric Johnson, I listened to that one this morning. Eric is our Dean of Podcasting in our 48 Days Eagles community. Podcast Talent Coach, great podcast. Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. Read to Lead, Jeff Brown. Entree Leadership from the Dave Ramsey Organization. The Retirement Answer Man, Roger Whitney. The Zig Ziglar Show, of course, hosted by my son, Kevin Miller. The Tim Ferriss Show, Tim Ferriss. The Brendan Show with uh, Brendan Bouchard. Entrepreneurs on Fire, John Lee Dumas. Business Made Simple, Donald Miller. The Ray Edwards Show, of course, with Ray Edwards. The Total Life Freedom Podcast, Vincent Paglisi, Akimbo, Seth Godin, On Being, Krista Tippett, Mama Says Namaste, that's my daughter, Ashley Logston, and Exponential Wisdom with Peter Diamandis and Dan Sullivan. Now, those are just easy for me to identify. I just looked at my feed on my phone, the ones that I have bookmarked, that I get updates every time there's a new episode. So those are 25 that I happen to listen to a lot. Uh, you know, I, as, I, as I share readily on here, books open the door to the opportunities that I experience today. That was where the most important information came from. Yes, I went, I did go to college. I've got a master's degree. I completed my doctoral work. I enjoyed that as well. But the real things that have fueled what I'm doing day to day have been learned in other ways, primarily from books. Well, podcasts are kind of the same source of information and wisdom and knowledge is just a what things are people are doing currently. A lot of these people that I mentioned who, whose podcast I listen to are authors, of course. And so they have their content distilled week after week. And I love the updated current contemporary things that they share as I get to share here in the 48 Days podcast. Well, thanks for the question, Jared. And yes, I'll be sending you a fresh copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. And I'll be seeing you at Podcast Movement in Dallas here in a couple months coming up. Well, let me throw in one more here. Uh, Francis says, Dan, I'm developing a plan for a podcast that will launch later this year. The domain name and the title of the show is not available. The entity that owns it isn't using it, but they haven't responded to my inquiry about buying it. The options I've thought of so far are making the website the podcast show.com. So like here, it would be 48daysshow.com or the podcast title dot show as the extension on the domain. Do you like either one or really dislike either one? I've seen some TV shows with domain names with dot TV, but I haven't seen any dot show. And I wondered if it would be too clunky for some people. Thanks for your goals packet. I use it every year, then track my deposits of success in the seven areas on a monthly, weekly, and daily basis. It's made a huge difference in my life. Well, thanks, Francis. Delighted to hear that you're Mapping out your goals and certainly starting a podcast is one of those new ventures that you can step into that hopefully will accelerate everything else that you're doing. Now, in your thoughts to your question, so your podcast title, whatever that happens to be, .com is not available. 
Yeah, you know, I don't put as much importance on what the domain is as what a lot of people do. So if you can have what your podcast title is and then add show at the end and then get a dot com, I think that's preferable to having a different extension like dot co or dot show, you know, dot TV, all those things that are dot coms are still really strong. Now, one thing I would ask you is with the name that you want to use, you said it's not available. Somebody else owns that. Is there a lot of activity and traffic around that name already? If so, you may have a hard time kind of establishing your brand, your place. Now, if it's a domain that somebody just has purchased and nothing's being done with it, a rock and roll. I mean, somebody else can own what you want to use.com. And if they're not active with it, you can still gain a lot of traction just by being really active and letting the world know what it is you have to share. So I, I would go with that direction, but I've never paid for a domain. I know I, I get requests or, or inquiries, you know, people, do you, do you want to buy this? Because they're like, yeah, it's not important enough to me. I've got, of course, 48days.com, but I have a whole lot of other domains as well. I have, well, at any given time, probably 75 or 80. Uh, and a lot of those just direct back to the 48days.com. But I don't consider any of those to be critical where I would be stuck or I would pay thousands of dollars to get that domain if it were not available to me. Just don't put that much emphasis on it. Even if you need to tweak the name that you thought you were going to use and just get a good .com name following up on that and you'll be good to go. Well, hey, as always, love your questions here. I'll send, and I'll send a book out to you as well, Francis, as I will the other people whose questions I used here. If you want to submit a question in here for consideration, just uh, go to 48days.com slash askdan. And if I use your question, I'll shoot you out an autographed copy of 48 Days to the Work You Love. I mean, this is always a privilege for me. Again, thank you so much for being a listener, for sharing this with friends for interacting with me in other ways. I mean, we've got a lot of things going during the week. Podcast is just kind of the tip of the iceberg, but it's one way that I enjoy to connect with you, the listeners. So thanks for listening, for sending your questions. Thanks for being open to growing, for being a powerful force, for making the world a better place, for taking initiative, for moving past fear, for not getting stuck like a lot of people you may see around you. You know, you don't need to do that. Reach out to other people who are going to cheer you on and Ultimately, I know that you believe without a shadow of a doubt, as I do, that we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.